it's kind of like hyper focused on the body and I very much wanted um, it's partly a book about denial and it had the potential, I didn't want it to be like a heavy and like hollow book. I wanted the reader to kind of um, feel like the difficult feelings that Lena Ray feels in her body, but also feel the kind of joys and the pleasure as well. Hello and welcome to Tender Buttons, a podcast chatting to artists and writers about their process and politics with me, Jessica Andrews, and my co-host, Jack Young. If you'd like to buy any of the books from today's episode, as a listener of the show, you can get a 10% discount by entering Tender Buttons at the StorySmith checkout. You can find them online at storysmithbooks.com or visit them in person on North Street in Bedminster. Today's episode of Tender Buttons is a bit different to usual something of a summer special to mark the publication of my co-host Jessica's new book, Oak Teeth. This will also be the last episode of season two before we come back in September for season three. In this episode, we present to you a live recording from the launch of Milk Teeth in person with our wonderful podcast partners, Storysmith Books in Bristol. Jessica was interviewed by one of our previous Tender Buttons guests and friend of the pod, Samantha Walton. And they talk all things Milk Teeth, which was featured in The Guardian's Best Fiction to Look Out for 2022, described by Yara Rodriguez Fowler as spilling over with care, truth and desire. Andrews makes the case for a life lived abundantly and ardently, full of sensation and pleasure, risk and safety. And Francesca Reese described Milk Teeth as electrifying. It's immediate and ultra-sensual and has the emotional pitch and intensity of the best gig you've ever been to, a thunderbolt of a book. We hope you enjoy listening. Good evening, everyone. Um, is the volume I'm talking at okay for you in this room? Good, okay. Um, so I'm really delighted to introduce Jess tonight. Um, I really loved Saltwater, and then I was so excited to get a copy of Milk Teeth. Um, I've got absolutely masses of questions to ask. Um, we're going to talk for about 45 minutes, and then there'll be time for your questions at the end. Um, but I thought it would be nice to begin with a reading um, from the book to get you kind of into to listening and to, to hear some of Jess's beautiful words. Um, yeah, so thanks for coming, everyone. Um, I will set the book up a bit because it just came out, so I guess people haven't read it. Um, it is, it's kind of a love story. It's set mostly in Barcelona, um, but it's kind of about like wanting and how to know what you want and why you might deny yourself the things that you want. And it's also kind of about food and the body and shame and pleasure. Um, and the extract that I'm going to read is from the beginning of the love story when the, the two main characters have just met. It's set in Deptford in South London. That's all you really need to know. We go out dancing in a disco-lit Deptford bar. The walls are sweating and the gin is bitter. The glitter smudged around my eyes leaves trails in my vision as I look for you in the crowd. I find you in a blood-red silky shirt, your eyes closed and the lids painted silver. You are snake-hipped and electric as you raise your arms above your head and look straight at me. We lock eyes moving around the room, spinning in circles, your feet sliding towards me and away. You are asking me a question with your body, leading me to an edge and daring me to fall. We come so close our lips are almost touching. I can smell dark rum on your breath. 
The music is elastic and we throw ourselves at it. We are boundless and mercurial, a shifting silver joy. Do you want to get out of here? You breathe into my ear. I nod and we grab our coats and stagger outside. We get a taxi to your house and the streets are smudged through the window. You rest your head on my shoulder and mumble something I can't hear. Traffic lights leak across your face, turning you emerald, ruby and gold. In the darkness of your room, we shed our clothes like skin. Your body is a danger and I want to climb into it. I want to strip away your muscle and your fragile cage of bone. I feel very close to you, you whisper in my ear. I am close to you, but I want to be closer, to feel the friction of our lungs rub together, but there are things inside me you do not know about. There is a sharp, dark splinter in my chest, and I am scared of the rush and spill of my blood, the hole it will leave if I reach down and pull it out. Um, yeah, so I hope you got a sense of how like visceral, how sensual, how concerned with sensations in the body and kind of bodies meeting um, this book kind of really is. Um, and I know that you, it's like the tagline on your Instagram. It's something that I see like in the way that you um, kind of talk about your writing and kind of teaching as well, kind of helping people to find ways to access the body in their writing. So I thought it, beginning with the body would be a really good place to start. Um, so yeah, how is the body a way into writing for you? Um, I guess it comes from a kind of, I think it's a kind of maybe like feminist project, like a resistance to kind of, I feel like historically kind of like great male literary novels are very like um, detached from the body and kind of uh, the intellect is thought of as something that's very distant from kind of um, the flesh and like lived experience in that way. Um, and I feel like in my own life, um, like moving through the world in the body of a young woman, like it's often quite a very visceral experience. Um, and I feel like to bring that into the writing feels really important as a kind of pushback against maybe what novels are traditionally about or what novels can be. Um, and with this book particularly, um, it's kind of like hyper-focused on the body and I very much wanted um, it's partly a book about denial and it, it had the potential, I didn't want it to be like a heavy and like hollow book. I wanted the reader to kind of um, feel like the difficult feelings that the narrator feels in her body but also feel the kind of joys and the pleasure as well. And kind of um, the setting of Barcelona really kind of loaned itself to that because of the, the sea and the salt and the food and all of the textures. Um, so in that way, the body is kind of like the centre of this book, mm. I think. And like when you're writing, are you, like not to suggest it's autobiographical exactly, but like how do you use your own body to like channel those feelings? Like do you try to remember how certain experiences felt or do you kind of imagine what your characters are feeling at those moments? Um, I think, so, I guess, so like my first book, um, was semi-autobiographical and I was super kind of honest about that maybe to my own detriment and um and this one it kind of leans it leans on some autobiographical details but it's maybe a bit more fictional um but at the same time I am often like writing through memory so um I guess even if I'm fictionalizing an experience it, you know kind of all kind of writing is an excavation of memory I think and I think the way that I 
remember places is just very sensory like a lot of my work is kind of concerned with place um, and kind of like the smells and tastes and like feelings of a place I think I remember in a very kind of bodily memory mm. um, so yeah I think that's probably the way in and you like define that as a as a feminist practice or a feminist project and like the body has obviously been kind of feminized historically as a source of like interference in the mind like it gets in the way of reason it gets in the way of of kind of clear thought but um you're clearly kind of disrupting that and treating the body as like a form of intelligence and like a sort of space of memory as well so i would just love to hear more about like, the feminist influences or feminist ideas in your writing yeah um so i guess kind of going back to what i was saying about like traditional novels i think um so my first book was kind of like written from the perspective of like a young working class woman and in literary fiction that's still quite rare um it shouldn't be but it is and um i guess like sort of to write from the first person in that way i think there's something kind of radical in that and and i think um a lot of i guess there's a lot of kind of misogynistic I would say criticism leave it at like young often young women writers who are writing from their lives where people call it like um, self-absorbed or like one of the words is like navel gazing um, and we did attend a buttons episode with um, a writer called Melissa Phoebos recently and she has an essay called like in refute of navel gazing where she says um, you know when someone describes something as navel gazing in a critical way like what they're literally saying is you're, you're looking at your body and your body doesn't matter. So she kind of talks a lot about how um, it's actually really radical to write from that point or kind of to play around with that as well, like to destabilize the boundaries between fiction and memory and truth and like um, kind of play with that preconception because as well, everyone always thinks that you are writing from your own life, kind of no matter what you write. So. I think there's like a bit of freedom to play around with that as well and play around with people's perceptions and I think it also like it, it gives you control so if you're maybe someone who hasn't felt like they've had a lot of power or control in their lives I think to write from the first person can be quite a radical act especially if it's rooted in your own experiences because it gives it gives you control and it gives you power um, and I guess there's kind of like um, a radical feminist strand to that I think. Definitely, yeah. I, I'm not going to ask you any autobiographical personal questions because that's often the way that, like, particularly writing by women is dismissed, isn't it? It's like they just critics just use it as a kind of a way to get it, get to that person and to their private life, and like kind of ignore the fact that there's this literary work that's been produced, like in this really knowing, thoughtful um, way to like to, to mystify that process. Um, so I won't ask you any of those questions, but I am interested in the sense of like what writing from the body how it kind of releases you as a, as a writer and kind of makes it possible for you to go to like more risky places. Um, I'm thinking about like Elaine Sassou's Écriture Feminine and like the idea that, um, the idea that women in particular have been, have denied, denied pleasure and that, that's kind of a self-internalized process as well as like a heavily externalized one. And that through writing in this really visceral way you can kind of release yourself from some of that and like release writing as well um that as a question <laughs> <laughs> or we could just park that and i could ask you about pleasure which is something i really wanted to move on to um 
Yeah, so pleasure has this, pleasure is kind of at the center of the novel and I think all the other themes around like gender and class, um, sexuality, food definitely, all kind of orbit this idea of pleasure. Um, so yeah, a, a really basic question is like, what, what does pleasure mean to you? What does pleasure mean in this novel? Um, well, I think kind of within this book, something I really wanted to explore. Um, so my first book was kind of about um, social class and gender and like how to make a life or to make a space for yourself in the world that's maybe different to the space that you were kind of like born into or that you were kind of like set up to occupy and some of the conflicts that come with that. But with this book, I wanted it to much more, I wanted it to be a more psychological exploration of that. So kind of like um, maybe when you, maybe when things do start to open up for you, can you allow yourself to take those things? Because I guess you're conditioned, like, I guess, especially here, it's the way in which the protagonist's like body and her desires have been policed by like, um, I guess, systemic things relating to class and gender, but also how you learn to self-police and you internalize those things. Um, and I knew I wanted to write about that, but I, I wanted the book, I wanted it ultimately to be about like taking pleasure in the in the pleasures of the body, I think, and I didn't want it to be I wanted like the right the reader to kind of feel hungry when they were reading it. Um, and I guess I think lots of people for lots of different reasons, but particularly like from this kind of like young female working class perspective, it's like how much pleasure can you do you feel like you're entitled to or how much pleasure do you feel that is available to you or if there is pleasure available to you can you see it can you allow yourself to have it so I guess like I, I don't think there's like a definitive answer within the book but that's very much what the main character is searching for and there's definitely something about like working out what kind of pleasure she wants as well because there's like there's these really kind of hedonistic scenes these scenes of like self-indulgence that becomes I'm thinking about like drinking scenes like particularly in her early life that become quite self-destructive as well so there's this kind of sense of like where do I pitch my pleasure like what is and what is actually sustaining as well right not just like what I'm supposed to want mm. well, I think it's also about control so like if you have been denied things or you deny yourself a lot of things then maybe you could go to the total other extreme where you think I'm just going to have everything and I'm going to get really drunk and do loads of drugs or whatever but it's that's kind of a total loss of control so I guess it's about like um yeah like where do you where do you find the balance but also like navigating where a person sits when they haven't had control of their life or like when certain things in their life or their body feels like it's controlled by other people how does that impact your own relationship to control yeah like seeking pleasure is like this act of rebellion but it's something that like you just don't necessarily know like the pitch of it or like what what is actually sustaining I'm thinking about it in relation to class because there's these scenes where you know she moves to London and she meets these middle class women who just seem to enjoy themselves without shame you know they just eat and they um, they like they're hungry they're like visibly hungry and this is um, for want of a better word it's quite triggering right to see these people who just have this like or this perceived access to like luxury without shame um, and yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that sense of like this idea that other women don't have 
like an internal like shame barometer that's like you know going off when um when they're enjoying things and like how much that is shaped by class and how much that's also like a comment on the way that women kind of watch each other as well mm. that's a very messy question but no, it's, <laughs> it's a good one I, I think um i think i i could read that scene yeah. so maybe people know yeah. i'm talking about scene. Shall I read it? Yeah. <laughs> I'll just read a bit. Um, yeah, so this is the protagonist um, in London. I feel like it illustrates it maybe better than I can talk about, where I guess it's about um, like privilege and ease and the way that some people seem to be able to take things very easily, whereas she feels that she can't. Um, but yeah, more, more on that. Um, when I first moved to London, I felt clumsy and lumbering as though I was different from the people I met in bars and at parties, whose skin shone with something I knew I could not afford. I thought cultured, glamorous people would be in control of their appetites, and I was surprised to find my new friends talked about food all of the time. They shared recipes from newspapers and glossy cookery books. They had favorite chefs and restaurants, and they got sourdough pizza takeaways. I didn't understand their language. It was so different from the world I grew up in, where women shared slimming world solidarity, talking in magic knickers and bathroom scales. My new friends competed with each other, each girl claiming she was hungrier than the rest. I couldn't tell if their hunger was genuine or if it was another kind of performance, one that I didn't understand. The women I knew from home were proud of how little they allowed themselves to take. They admired each other's discipline, their ability to wane, at first, pushing away my hunger made more room inside me to feel everything else. I wanted colour, danger and beauty, things that felt removed from the daily grind of eating, sleeping and my new job at a pub. I shrank my needs for food, safety and comfort in pursuit of poetry and magic. I wanted to live like lightning, which seemed luxurious and out of my grasp. Um, so, <laughs> I think... Um, you know, that's very much the way that this character is perceiving the other women. Like, yeah, they can just take whatever they want and it's so easy. But in reality, I think that's probably not true. And I think sometimes, I don't know, I've got friends who are women who, who almost kind of exist. They've like cultivated like a pleasure principle in their life. So they kind of make it their prerogative to like go out and enjoy things and like push back against that shame and I think that's a quality that I really admire in people but but it feels like a conscious pushing I don't think it's just like something that's innate to them yeah it feels like that scene you just describe it like there's this performative quality you know it's almost like the inverse of what the the women from her childhood are talking about or from her youth are talking about like these group of women deny themselves pleasure as this like sort of like community self-policing and then this other group are like really excessive in their displays of like how much they love food and like I know which side I'd rather be on right but like but there's this like inauthenticity to both of it um and I I think that's almost like why this isn't just a novel about like aspiring to be like those women it's not just a novel about like aspiring to be a different social class because there's it's like constructed by the same kinds of power right yeah, or, or I guess it's like, um, it's not it's not necessarily about like, oh yeah, I grew up working class and, and I want my life to be different. It's kind of like, um, I guess it's more 
complex than that. It's kind of like there's these traits in the other women that she admires, but she also feels like maybe to be part of her world, she'd be complicit, part of their world, she'd be complicit in something that she doesn't really want to be complicit in. Mm -hmm. um, or, yeah, I think it's like, it, it's complicated. Or, or it's also like, what if, what if you want what if you want something different to the life that you have mm -hmm. and then you get that thing and then maybe actually it's not all that it's cracked up to be or maybe you can't fully occupy that world so then where does it leave you because then you're just stranded because you can't go back mm -hmm. and you can't go forward so then like what is that space that you're in which is the space that the protagonist of this book is in I think and there's a sense as well that she's been like tricked right there's that really interesting passage where She's talking about how they thought, growing up, her and her friends thought that like thinness would give you access to like these nice things and this this like different way of being. And then she gets there, and actually, there's a whole different value system there around food that like she doesn't know. She's like not versed in, and it's really like it's like a really horrible trick, right? Yeah, I think when I was when I was writing, I was thinking a lot about kind of um, like the pop culture around the time when I was a teenager in the early 2000s, so it was stuff like um, like Kate Moss and like the whole like heroin chic thing and like, um, you know, like size zero culture. And I was thinking about how it was this one set of rules that I think a lot of like teenage girls felt like they had to follow, but then the culture shifts and suddenly it's about a different body type or a different like mm. whatever, but it, it's all still the same set of controls, really. Mm built your personality around the one that's like just gone out of fashion yeah <laughs> yeah oh i think like when you're young you can't you, you don't understand that it's all just a construction you think yeah this is how it has to be i like spinning off of that i really want to talk about the different time scales of the book because the book's written in present tense and then also um uses a lot of kind of flashbacks and i i guess the the present tense is kind of linear and then the flashbacks kind of emerge at kind of different moments in um, the protagonist's life. And I've got lots of questions about that, like just going off what you just said, like it seems like a real corrective to the 90s and noughties nostalgia that seems to be like emerging at the moment that this was this interesting time and this great time and really, really, you know, great fashion, let's go back. Let's absolutely not go back, I, I can't. Um, and, and actually in the, the revival that I'm, seeing at the moment as well we're seeing at the moment there's like a revival of some of that body shape as well that you mm. see in some of the, the um, recent fashion campaigns i think Miu Miu had like size zero models which seems like such a shift from the culture of kind of body positivity and kind of greater representation of bodies um that the fashion world has been really reluctantly embracing in the last few years um so question about that yeah like to what extent did this kind of this process of writing give you space to excavate some of that that period the 90s and the noughties and like write back against that a potential nostalgia for those years yeah um i mean i guess it it's kind of tied in with politics i think like um you know kind of like the like the late 90s early noughties i i feel like the the culture was kind of like self-destructive like it was all like skins and the libertines and taking loads of drugs and that was the whole um, ethos, which I guess kind of, you know, kind of, it was like the beginning of austerity, mm. probably, like 2007, it was like the, um, 
I kind of like pushed back against that I think when I was a teenager and then now obviously like we're um, coming out of the pandemic and I think it's the the feeling of it is kind of connected to that in some way. So do you think like the body positivity movement has like given you like space to reflect on those times and has shaped the writing of the novel at all? No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think I feel like, um, yeah, like I think there's like conversations that weren't happening like when I was a teenager, but I think the emphasis is still very much on bodies and what they look like. Yeah. I think even, even like within body positivity, it's still very much like the focus is still on what your body is like. Mm-hmm. So if we can get away from that, I, I don't know how. Yeah. Well, there's bits where she kind of almost wants her body to be invisible, like, and there's this paradox of, like, wanting to experience through the body, but also not wanting the body to be, like, an object of anybody's focus. Mm. But then that sometimes leads to, like, quite dissociative periods where she's, like, doesn't feel like she has a body at all. And, yeah, Barcelona almost, like, fixes that to some extent or is, like, a, a way of kind of making that really visible. Um, and, and the love affair as well. I haven't talked about it yet, but, like the the romance which kind of should be this really joyful exciting moment is also kind of a trigger for the return of all of these memories right and the the, the well I'm stop telling you what your book is about and let you tell me <laughs> like how did you develop that structure you know that that kind of way of writing in the present but then like using it as a way to like reveal these memories um so I guess like thematically um I I wanted it to be like like it's kind of a love the love story is kind of like sometimes when you write a book you have to pack it into something to give it a hook so in a way like the love story functions as that like it's something that pulls you through the narrative Mm -hmm. but it's kind of not really about the love story it's more about like um if you have denied yourself things for a very long time and then something happens like the love story is like a catalyst where suddenly she feels like she's desiring things and she has to face her desires. Um, so I guess I wanted it to function. I wanted it to like, br- like give her a space to explore that in the book. Or like if you, yeah, if things in your life have been very tightly controlled and then suddenly something happens that makes those things start to unravel, like falling in love, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I guess in terms of like writing the book. Um, so there's two separate timelines, there's a past tense and a present tense, and um, I tend to write, I wrote the different timelines separately, which was also, my first book had three timelines, I did a similar thing there, and I don't tend to write chronologically, I think because I'm writing, uh, the love story I probably did write chronologically, because it, it, there wasn't another way to do it, but with the other half of the narrative, which kind of focuses on her bodily experiences, I was almost like, um, writing through memory so it's like I knew I think when you set out to write a book I mean maybe you have this too it's like you have a kind of feeling that you want to explore so I knew I wanted to explore wanting was kind of the word but it's only really until you've written and written and written that you start to see the questions emerging like oh I've written like six episodes that are about denial or seven you know and then you start to weave it together in that way so I guess I just wrote a lot like I wrote a lot more than actually ended up in the book as a way of just sort of trying like trying like to like write into feeling and trying to get to the heart of what it was exactly that I was trying to answer 
it's kind of like a feeling like feeling in the dark kind of feeling I think yeah and then like the process of editing it into a book like do you how do you work out which pieces go together because they're actually really beautifully linked together but it's not like it's not obvious you know it feel it feels natural but it doesn't feel like forced in any way so yeah how do you bind them together so I print it all out okay cool (laughs) (laughs) craft questions (laughs) and um and yeah like I mean you can get computer programs that do it (laughs) but I have to see it physically um and then I like I physically put the pages next to each other on the floor and I think like when you when you write in a way that's non-chronological what's really important is um like the reader the reader has to trust you and they have to feel like you're guiding them Mm. through the book even if they're not entirely sure what like the internal logic is so I guess um also because I wanted if you want to create like a particular like emotional atmosphere it's kind of about working out what sits well together to make that happen so it could be something really subtle like there's an episode from the past that's about um a feeling of like an unrequited desire and then you might get an episode of that in the present but it's not super explicit mm-hmm. so maybe the I know the language of it and I know the ways in which they're connected but I guess the trick is making it subtle enough that it's not like really on the nose but that the reader feels kind of like you're holding their hand and like taking them through it it definitely feels that way as a reader <laughs> you sort of you're, you're reading and there's this like real energy and propulsion which feels a bit like confusing because it's not like it's not like a plot driven novel it's just like a crime thriller or something there's nothing to solve but but what she's sort of solving is like why why these checks are in her there, you know why these these um this self-denial is like so strong and yeah that the energy is almost in this movement between the back the, the present and the past um and as a reader you're kind of taken into this um yeah into this internal world and it's interesting because there's not that many times where she's kind of reflecting on it in the present, but like, yeah, I, I'm kind of wondering, like, is this a memory that's come up? Has this been jogged? Or is this kind of a form of storytelling that's just kind of for the for the reader so they understand? Yeah, um, well, I think, like, I'm always really interested in the way that, like, we carry, we have all of, all of our experiences we've ever had, we carry to, like, every interaction. Mm-hmm. So even if, you know, some days one thing might be more on the surface than another, but I'm interested in the way how those things are always present, like, kind of intermingled. Um, so I guess writing through, like, a kind of fragmented form where you have more of these parallels between... Like, when I was writing, I was thinking of it as kind of, like, a question and an answer. So mm-hmm. one narrative would pose a question and then other... But not necessarily, like, more a question about herself. So maybe in the present tense, she's like, oh, why can't I just relax? (laughs) And then, you know, there'll be, like, a a flashback that will demonstrate why she can't do that. So that, yeah, they're very much... It's like a conversation was how I thought of it in my head. Yeah. It's really interesting. Have have you read um, Kim Ji-young, Born 1982? No. It's a... Korean feminist novel it was really controversial like a k-pop star was cancelled because she said she'd read it it's like um how about it was and it's yeah this just like forensic account of like every moment that a woman encounters misogyny in her life from like birth to she, she well, I don't want to give away what happens but in, in her late 30s and it feels like I mean that's a very kind of forensic almost like medical examination of that experience which is very different from what you're doing but yeah it's this same 
um, process of saying like, oh God, why am I like this? And then actually just like laying it all out, like absolutely letting it unravel and then like doing the work of, of resisting, you know, or of, of kind of trying to create a new kind of self that can experience pleasure, like almost as a, as a reaction against that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's what all writing feels like for me in a way. Mm. Like you, you have some sort of um, question that's about yourself or about the world and the, the writing process is, is like, yeah, laying it all out and trying to like connect the dots mm. as to why that happened or why you feel like that or, mm. yeah. Um, I wanted to ask a question because a lot of it is around food as well and around, um, I guess, like disordered eating, if you define it like that. And I was really struck by how you write about that experience and that way of thinking about food like so well and in such a I hate this word but like relatable way like it feels very like I, kn I know those feelings right but you manage to do it in a very careful way um, for example like avoiding talking about calorie counts <clears throat> avoiding kind of conversations or ways of writing that would be triggering to somebody who has experienced disordered eating um, and I'd just love to know how you managed to strike that balance and like you know, make it a book that's um, that's like caring, I guess, to the reader who might have shared similar experiences. Yeah, um, I think it's kind of a minefield to write about something like disordered eating. Um, like, I guess I wanted, like, the narrator's relationship with food is like very symbolic of all of these questions that she's trying to answer in other areas. So about like. Um, yeah, like wanting and denial and like access to pleasure and I guess class in, in lots of ways as well. Um, and like there's lots of novels which kind of like fetishize disordered eating or like fetishize thinness, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and the focus is very much on the emptiness and people are trying to, I think, explain that feeling. Um, but I think, I, I did feel like when I set out to write you have a lot of ethical responsibility because also there's a thing where like um, people read books like for tips on like mm. how to eat less and stuff like that and I very much wanted it not to be that so I felt like um, like there's loads of descriptions of food um, it's very visceral it's very like delicious I hope and that felt really important like I wanted the I wanted the reader to feel hungry I didn't want them to feel like hollow and empty and I kind of yeah it felt like a difficult balance to hold those elements but to also have like a kind of yeah like a hunger to it and to make the to like make the reader see that that's better yeah yeah i can remember specific descriptions of food and like particularly like salty like slightly disgusting foods from the book and like how yeah much those memories of reading kind of stay with you in the body it's like it's really good it's a really good thing um Kind of connected to that because I think some of the books you're talking about where the skinny clever girl has a cup of coffee and then later is revealed to be a genius like those are not naming any specific books um, <laughs> some of those books also happen to um, feature romances and feature these male protagonists who are just like toxic abusive men um, and there's obviously really good reasons to write books like that to like better understand um, the dynamics of those relationships and to resist them but I, it, there's a lot of books like that at the moment and they can be quite difficult to read, I would say. Um, and it's really interesting, I don't want to give too much about the, the story of this romance, but it's fair to say that the, um, like the love interest in this is not like that. 
um, at all. And it almost felt risky. I remember talking to you about it um, before I read it. It felt like risky in this in this literary economy to write a book about a boyfriend who's like, okay, he's like, okay. <laughs> Where's the drama gonna come from? Um, so yeah, I'd love to know kind of why or how you approach that and, and why you think it's important. Yeah, um, so yeah, I think there is a real trend um, within contemporary literature, especially from young women um, kind of like writing about toxic relationships and like sexual assault and those things are really important and valid and I think it's great that we're having those conversations. But I think I felt very much like, um, so like I, as a writer you get sent a lot of books by editors um, like to, for kind of like endorsements and stuff and because I am a young woman I almost exclusively get sent books by young women and a lot of them are about these kinds of themes mm-hmm. and it, it starts to, it started to make me feel like okay but like where does the conversation go next because if, if we've only got like negative representations of like women having sex with men then then that's like just as trapping in a way because if you don't have a map for a way in which it could be positive I mean still complicated but mm-hmm. like you know, I, I guess it goes back to the pleasure question. Like, I wanted her to be able to enjoy sex. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be, like, this frightening, scary place, which obviously it can be, mm-hmm. but it's, like, the, I feel like the conversation needs to go somewhere else mm-hmm. but for things to actually get better. Like, we need positive maps as well, I think. I totally agree. It seems like the a lot of the kind of literary models that are out there are, like total toxic codependence disaster or like uh, just complete independence like no relationships I'm free which sounds great but yeah how to like find the space in the middle or kind of carve out the space in the middle which as you say like isn't necessarily without complexity but um yeah are there like are there other books that you read that you thought did that well um so <laughs> my my favorite book ever is um The Lesser Bohemians by Emma McBride and she does that uh beautifully like the sex writing is amazing I mean the guy in it he's not great but it's like it's it's like okay they're still sort of well no it's not okay she's still like (laughs) (laughs) what I mean is she still wants to have a relationship with him and it's not completely disastrous um or someone like um I don't know the best sex writing I think is Garth Greenwell a book called Cleanness it's amazing um yeah, I mean, it's also hard to write a love story that's not just, like, cheesy <laughs> as well. Yeah, like, um, you m- managed to turn in this book, like, falling in love into this, like, 360-degree existential experience that, like, <laughs> completely transforms this character and, like, yeah, it's, like, this sort of ice pick into all of these, um, like, different themes. And it's a very pleasurable book, it's a very sexy book, but it's also, like, yeah, a very philosophical book I don't know like do you think that love is like an existential question or an existential question <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, I guess it is um I guess well I guess it's like any any uh big feeling or experience you have um kind of makes you question things and makes you excavate things and like uh maybe teaches you things about yourself so I guess in that way yeah or like, I don't know, there's so many different ways to love or like ways to be in a relationship. And I guess trying to negotiate that is some like learning something about your own desire and what you want and what you feel entitled to want. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I mean, it's a really, it's an interesting question because so many, it's like the classic way that writing by women has historically been dismissed, right? It's because oh, it's just about love, it's just about romance. Um, but yeah, as you say, like, that's a, a huge category of feeling that like deserves that, that kind of attention. And can I just ask why it's called Milk Teeth? Yes. <laughs> uh, it is called Milk Teeth because, um, well, I guess when you're looking for a title in a book, I mean, you will also know, it's like you're, you're, you're searching for a word that kind of like holds all of the themes, it pulls them all together. Um, I had a different working title for it first, that didn't seem quite right. Um, and there's actually, there's a reference, there is a paragraph which references a milk tooth in the book. And it was when I was editing and I read that paragraph, I was like, oh, that's it. Because I guess it's, it's kind of a coming of age story, but not like someone a bit older in their life, like not a classic, like teenage coming of age story. Mm. Um, and I guess I felt like it really held um, kind of like the viscerality and the relationship to food. And there's something kind of like grotesque about it as well that I felt like fitted with the world of the book. Thanks so much for listening to season two of Tender Buttons. If you've liked what you've heard, please share and let people know. We'd like to thank our incredible guests for this season. Max Potter, Lola Olafemi, Yara Rodriguez-Fowler, Moses McKenzie, Melissa Phoebos, and a special thanks to Samantha Walton for her brilliant interview for this episode. We'd also like to thank everyone at Storysmith Books for their continuous support. Dan, Emily, Callum and Savon. It's been such a joy to finally be hosting live events at Tender Buttons at Storysmiths after working remotely together for the first year due to the pandemic. We'll be back in September for season three. We've got some phenomenal guests lined up and can't wait to share this with you. Till then, you can check out all of our past episodes at storysmithbooks.com forward slash tender buttons. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.